So we are in a series called Encounters, and what we're talking about is um, things just going along as they normally do, and then Jesus shows up, right? So Encounter, you know, because this is the name of the series, I've been noticing uh, the word in like the news and things like that, and one of them is when uh, there's a wild animal, like a cougar, or a bear or something that they'll say they had an encounter with a bear, which just seems frightening to me. Like, that's the name of, of the series, and it's like, well, I don't want people to think that they're having an encounter with Jesus, and they're just walking along, and all of a sudden Jesus pops out, and it's like, hey there, Jesus, hold on one second. Well, this morning, I want to tell you a story about Jesus giving that kind of encounter. Jesus shows up, and it's not nice Jesus. It's not like cherub Jesus. It's not like, hey, I love you, and that's okay. Everything's cool. No, I know. You're broken and struggling. I get all that. No, everything's cool. I'm like happy, you know, rainbow Jesus. And this isn't this story. This is encounter with, with, with bear Jesus, uh, cougar Jesus, wild animal Jesus, if you will. And that, this is going to make you uncomfortable. Because oftentimes, don't we, I, I mean, I, I'm just speaking for myself, okay? L like I say all the time, I preach all week to myself. Like when I'm preparing the sermon, it's hitting me really hard. So I love hitting you hard because it's just like, oh, good. I, I had to take it. Now I can give it. So, so that's just a little pastor confession time. That's all right. Uh, and so uh, Jesus comes in on the scene, and it's not the greatest thing. And so... Uh, it might make you uncomfortable. As a matter of fact, as I was, I was studying the text, there were some um, scholars. You know, I'd like to read a lot of different people's ideas about what, what the verses mean and all these things. And there are so many people more smarter than me. I mean, like at least two. And uh, so I'll read, I'll read. I won't read them because I don't understand what they're saying. But you get to this thing where you're like, you get to a part of the Bible, and maybe if you're new to the Bible or, or you, you left the Bible, maybe it's because you got to a, a verse in the Bible or a story in the Bible or something, and you're going, man, this is not the kind of, this God seems like mad or angry, and I want to I wanna follow a, a happy God, like a grandpa God. You know, I want him to sit there, sit on his lap, and tell him, you know, like Santa God, you know, I want that. And, and, and there is, he has that kind of thing. It says in the Bible, he's a mother hen, and he will, you know, he can wrap us in his wings, and he, the Holy Spirit is a comforter. So, you know, all those things. But there's another side as well. That he desperately wants justice. That he desperately wants um, us to be living in holiness. And so that's what we're going to be talking about um, this morning. So if you could just close all those doors, lock them, all these doors, ushers. No, we don't have ushers, but uh, anyway. So here's what's happening. It's the Passover. Uh, just to give you an idea of what happens in the Passover, it's like the Super Bowl, okay? It's like Easter for pastors is the Super Bowl. We think about Easter, we plan for Easter, we talk about Easter. This is Passover for the Jews. This was the big deal. It, it represents when uh, Egypt, when they were in Egypt, and God decided as the final straw, like, okay, we're killing every one of the Egyptians firstborn, unless you have the blood of the lamb over the door, no one will be spared, and 
it was tragic and difficult to read. But it was through that that the Israelites were, fi- they were finally like, just get them out of here. And so they were uh, taken out of slavery and then into the desert. And so they're, they're celebrating that. And Jerusalem would just be inundated with people. Lots of people, historians believe it was one to two million people that would descend on Jerusalem. Um, The temple could have as many as 400,000 people all around just trying to get the things done that they needed to get done in the Passover. And one of them was sacrifices. Um, and so you would go and you would present your sacrifice to God. And that would be the, what we call the atonement for your sins. And, and, and the priests had to do all this. So there was a whole system for this thing. And then the other thing you would do is pay the temple tax. And uh, the temple tax couldn't be uh, Roman coinage because they were being occupied by Rome. And so the temple wanted kind of a more pure way to pay the temple tax. And, and Rome wouldn't allow the Jews to coin money. You had to use the Roman money. So there would be these um, money changers that would turn, take the Roman coins and turn them into another coin that was acceptable for the temple tax. I hope all that makes sense, but this is where we find Jesus. So it's really important for you to understand it's kind of chaotic. It's kind of a big deal, okay? So here we are. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. The reason we say up to Jerusalem is because it was on a hill. Uh, It wasn't like he went north or anything like that. He went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. Now, all of these things had to happen. And so... um, We can't automatically say that this was wrong, but there was something about the injustice of it. And I'll I'll give you an example. It's a lame example. I'm sorry. I thought of it a couple days ago, and I haven't been able to come up with a better example. But if you live in Los Angeles, and you have to go to SoFi Stadium, okay, you know how much parking costs, and you know how much those hot dogs are, and you're like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to eat before we go, and we're taking an Uber, or someone's going to drop us off, or whatever, because you know the system, right? Because you live in Los Angeles. Sorry for those of you who are watching in lesser states. I totally get it. But um, in Los Angeles, everything's expensive, okay? Our gas, everything's expensive. So, uh, so you kind of know the system. And if you're wealthy, you don't care about the system, right? If you're wealthy, you go to SoFi Stadium, how much is parking? It's $100. You know, yawn, you reach into your pocket, uh, here, take $200. I mean, whatever, you're, you're wealthy. Well, the same is true here. Just like everywhere else, the poor, just like, okay, this is not a political statement, but just like we are now, the poor always get the raw end of the deal. The wealthy don't, they're, they're fine. They're, they're going to be fine, okay? So don't read too much into it. So this is the situation that's going on here. They're taking advantage of those who couldn't maybe travel with livestock or whatever. They had to essentially buy the hot dog at the stadium, okay? I told you it was a bad example. You don't need to send me emails on it. I told you, okay? But that's the idea. That's the idea here. Now watch what Jesus does. I just want you to picture this meek and, you know, I don't know what the, ver- the there's a hymn out there, you know, be, you know, here comes Jesus, meek and mild. Okay, this isn't meek and mild, Jesus. 
okay? Very next verse. So he made a whip out of cords. Now, I was reading some of the scholars again, and some of them are so uncomfortable with this that what they said was uh, the cattle all had the straw bedding, and so what Jesus did is he took the straw and he kind of made like a mock whip, like a whisk broom, right? So Jesus is at the temple. There's 400,000 people there. He's getting really agitated, and for, we'll see why in a second, and he makes a whisk broom and goes, shh, shoo, get out. You're not supposed to. Mm, I doubt that. I probably wouldn't allow someone to whisk me out. Now, if they had a whip, okay. So it's a whip. So I did a word study. It's a whip. I mean, it's a whip. And so he, it's like he's sitting there, if you, if you will. He's sitting in the temple, and he's looking at all this stuff. And if he's me, he's rocking back and forth. Oh, boy. I'm upset. I don't like this. You ever have that? You see an injustice? You see something? Someone's being mistreated. Someone's being taken advantage of. And you get that thing in you. And you're just like, oh, man. And a lot of times for us, we're watching on social media. There's nothing we can do about it. We just have that feeling inside. Well, Jesus had that feeling. And there was something he could do about it. And so he fashioned a whip. Stay with me. And drove... All, uh, all from the temple courts, right? Again, he's not just going, you know, bad, you know, with a straw. He's going off, okay? Jesus, baby Jesus, meek and mild, has now grown up, and he's upset. The temple calls both sheep and cattle. To those he, this is so bizarre. I haven't had time to get really into this, but to those selling doves, the, uh, John um, sets aside this, that there was something about the doves. And I don't know if it was just because Jesus, you know, the Holy Spirit came down on a dove. And, but Jesus, actually, they record what Jesus said to these particular people. To those who, were, who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Now you're getting the idea of why Jesus is so upset. What was created to worship God, what was created to bring sacrifice, to bring intimacy, to bring uh, grounding, and to bring uh, prayer is being used for something other than what God had intended I don't have time to get into all the things that had to do with this temple, but um, Herod was restoring it. It had been taken like 40 years to get restored. They were going to continue to restore it until it got destroyed in 70 AD. And so it was just like a big deal, and it was supposed to be used for God, and they had turned it into a marketplace. Now, where a lot of things go from here is that uh, there, it's an indictment on the church today. You know, oh, you know, the church should be this, the church should be that. A lot of pastors who pastor small churches like me say, this is why we're not a big church, uh, because that's all about, you know, consumerism. Like, that's not why we're not a big church, okay? It, like, this has nothing to do with that. This is all about the fact that God had intended a certain relationship, and these people were actually getting in the way of that intimacy, they were getting in the way of the poor and the marginalized. Being, they, this is in the court of Gentiles. 
So if you were a Jew, you could just wander through this and go into your court and everything's fine. And this circus was all happening to those who couldn't make it into that, that thing. He just, it's, it's just, to God, this is just a big hassle. Okay? So get out of here, he says. Stop turning my uh, market, uh, my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for where God dwells will consume me. Now, this is going to turn around really fast, okay? The Jews responded to him. What sign can you show us to prove your authority in all this? Which is, I find hilarious. Because if someone grabs a, a whip and starts whipping me and shooing me out of the temple, that's not a sign? <laughs> like... That's not a sign. I mean, that's kind of a sign. Is that not a sign? I mean, he's going nuts right now. He's getting very upset. But they want something else. Why? Because they're in power. And their power structure is being threatened. And this is what people in power do. It could be a teacher that you're under. It could be your boss. It could be some pastors do this. It could be anything. Where their power structure, their system is being threatened. So... Jesus answers their question. You want a sign? Here's your sign, he says. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it again in three days. And for them, the temple's the temple. There's no other temple. <laughs> like, that's the temple. So I don't blame them for misunderstanding him. We all know now what he means, and John explains it in just a little bit. But there's this idea that Jesus is talking about another temple, a different temple. He's obviously not saying destroy this temple, the, the, the actual temple. Some of the stones weighed, weighed tens of tons. Like, I don't know how they got them there, but they did. It was just an incredible expanse, an incredible work. And he's saying, you destroy the temple, and in three days, I'll raise it. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And you're going to just raise it in three days? Is that what you're saying? Oh, it's going to turn quick, so just get ready. I know you're all, you don't like the Pharisees right now, and you don't like systems of injustice, but it's going to turn real fast. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. The temple Jesus was talking about was his body. There is a new idea introduced by Jesus that that old temple goes away and there's a new temple. Now, in his case, there was an old sacrifice that was going away and then there'll be a new sacrifice. Jesus is upending the entire system of how we approach our Heavenly Father. He is the high priest. We no longer need a high priest. He is the sacrifice. We no longer need a sacrifice. And so Jesus now refers to a body as the temple. After he was raised from the dead, which, spoiler alert, is what we celebrate at Easter, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture, because there's many, many, many prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about this exact thing happening that Jesus raises from the dead. They, be they believe the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. 
So all of us, I think, um, whether you're here or online or whatever, would say, yeah, that sounds about right. They had a bad system in the temple. The temple wasn't being used for what it was supposed to be used for. As a matter of fact, the temple design by God is very specific of the different courts and all these different things and, you know, how how you were supposed to approach and who was supposed to go in the Holy of Holies and when they were supposed to go in and all these different things, when you were supposed to gather at the temple, when you were supposed to give sacrifices. It was designed by God for worship. The temple was designed by God for worship. Does that make sense? The temple was designed by God for worship. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know, oh boy, that you are a temple of God? Wait a minute. Hold on. Can we go back to making fun of big churches and the Pharisees and the old way of doing things and bad power structures? Can we go back to that? Because that one didn't really apply to me. And now it sounds like what you're doing, you tricked us. And now you're saying the temple is actually the temple. Us. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? I'm talking about those of you and me, myself, who've, 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 who've adopted this idea that God uh, came down as Jesus, that he died for my sins, that I no longer have to worry about eternal punishment. I can now have a relationship with God. Well, along with that relationship with God comes the fact that you and I are actually the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And you say, I don't, I can't even wrap my head around it. I can't either. And I get paid to do this. I understand. It's hard. I, re- I saw a joke the other day and it said, uh, I don't think it was from a Christian, but I found it funny. But it said, um, if Jesus lives in us, like some people say, I hope he likes burritos because that's what he's getting. Okay, I, I just found it funny, whatever. I, I, if you're offended by that, I, I get it. I know it wasn't. But, but you get the idea. It's hard to understand that the spirit of God would dwell inside me. As a matter of fact, the Bible says this, which is even worse. If you're a follower of Jesus, to each one of you has been given a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, an appearing of the Holy Spirit. You might have a gift of encouragement or teaching or prophecy or whatever. That's literally the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. If you've ever been convicted of your sin, you know, you're doing something and you're on the freeway and you blurt something out or maybe you make a a gesture uh, or something like that and... um, and, and you're like, oh, man, you immediately you're like, you know what, that, that's the whole, conviction of the Holy Spirit. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Here's what it says. He, he wants this point across. Paul wants this point across so much. If you notice here, it's 1 Corinthians 3.16. That's chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. Here's chapter 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? That's now it's like, wait a minute. And Jesus was in the temple and he had strong words and ideas of what it's supposed to look like, what the temple 
is supposed to, you mean the temple's not just for consumption and to obtain wealth? Well, you look at the Old Testament temple and you're like, of course not. Of course not. You see, you mean the temple isn't just a ritual that you just do, uh, you know, it's Passover, you've got to go, you've got to grab the lamb or whatever we have, or, you know, take an Uber, don't pay for parking, you know, whatever it is, just this ritual thing you do, maybe, you know, just weekly you go to, to the temple, you go to the synagogue or whatever. You mean it's not that? Well, we look back at the old temple and we say, of course it's not that. Of course it's not that. This is to worship God. In the same way, we look at our temple and we go, how are we doing being a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit? Where do we bring the Holy Spirit to? Where do, what, do we, what do we influence the Holy Spirit through? Through what we see and how we act and what we say. All these things. But he goes on. It's, he even explains it even further. Like I said, in, in chapter 3, it's almost like Paul's writing and he mentions it in chapter 3. And he goes, I got to get back to that. Now, again, I believe that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So maybe the Holy Spirit just said to him, hey, bro, that thing about the, Holy, about the temple, I got some more stuff on that. So, he, so in chapter 6, he says this, whom you have from God and that you are not your own. <laughs> I just want to talk to the Americans in the room here. This just flies in the face of our culture, okay? Our culture is you get what you get, you're independent, you go, you be you, boo, just uh, the whole thing, it just you, 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 you. Like, all about you. Well, Paul comes along and goes, hey, guess what? Actually, you're just a vessel for the Holy Spirit, and you're not your own, and further, you have been bought with a price, you don't, you're not even, you don't even get to have a decision. Now, you go, well, John, I make decisions all day. I get that. I understand. And that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to be, you know, get a good job, I mean, whatever, all that stuff. But what I'm talking about is this idea that Jesus, we accept Jesus as our Savior, and it begins this new temple work, not the te old temple. That's been done away with. That, all those prophecies have been fulfilled. Jesus same, I, I, said, I came not to um, get rid of the law, but to fulfill it, which he has. And what he did on the cross not only paid for our sins, it paid for us. We have been bought with a price, therefore, Glorify God in your temple. Where it goes, what it sees, what it does, what it thinks, what it says, what it fills our minds with. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. And therefore, I have to glorify God in the temple that he has given me. And again, we're not talking about diet plans and exercise. We're talking about the things of the Spirit. What am I consuming? What am I spending my time thinking about? How am I serving? Is this temple, like the Old Te Testament temple was supposed to be, is this temple ready for the marginalized? Is this temple serving those who need to be served? Now, keep all of that in mind, okay? We're going to go back to another verse. 
Here we have our temple now. And Jesus is sitting in our temple. So he made a whip out of cords. Wait a second. No, no, no. That was for the Old Testament. Jesus doesn't discipline us now. No, it's grace now. It's been grace. All my sins are forgiven. He doesn't even remember my sins, as a matter of fact. He separates them as far as the east is from the west. Hey, he doesn't even know what I did yesterday. I asked for forgiveness, and it's, it's over. Well, unfortunately, that theology can only go so far, right? He remembers David's sin with Bathsheba. It's written down. Like, every time I preach on that, Jesus isn't like, what? David did what? I'd never heard of that. Oh, that's right. We separated his sin. No, he knows. And he has an opinion about our sin. He has an opinion about how we live our life. And sometimes, I'm just speaking from my own experience, he sits down in my life and he makes a whip out of cords and he says, this part of your life, that needs to go. Get these out of here. It could be anything as, as much as like I'm coming to church for my own needs. And I just, I have very strong opinions on how everything goes because that's the way I want it to go. It could be that. It could be actual sin where you have something in your life and you just keep going, oh, by the grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of God. He's sitting there rocking back and forth. Okie doke. We're going to see how that goes. You say, man, that, that just, that Jesus isn't, isn't. I don't like that Jesus. I don't like discipline Jesus. Well, guess what? He's your Lord. He's your king. He is your authority, period. And it has nothing to do with the person sitting next to you. They might be able to do stuff that you're not allowed to do. They might be able to, you know, whatever. So we'll, go, we'll get past this. This is very uncomfortable. But I just want to show you where I get this from. Proverbs 3.11 says this. My son or daughter, it doesn't matter. In this particular case, Solomon is actually writing the Proverbs to his son. So to his sons. So, uh, you know, don't get bent out of shape. My son or daughter, do not despise the Lord's discipline. And do not resent his rebuke. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Now, sometimes this word father is upsetting because you had a bad father who didn't do discipline very well. I understand that. I understand that. You know, it just, he flew off the handle or he just did what his dad taught him and his dad and, you know, it just kind of kept going up and you're just like, I'm never going to discipline my kids, you know, because my dad disciplined me and I, I get all that. But if you think about, honestly, a loving father that says, you know what, we're not going to do that anymore. And here's what, here are the consequences. I mean, those are the, that's what you want out of a father. The five-year-old doesn't know that. Seven-year-old doesn't know that. You say, John, that's the Old Testament. Got you. Got you. That's the Old Testament. Jesus came and Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. You even said it now. He fulfilled the law. This is the, this is the era of grace. Okay. Fair enough. Let's go to Hebrews. Guess where that is? New Testament. Okay. Here we go. Hebrews 12.3. For consider him who has endured such hostility 
against, uh, him, uh, by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Grow weary of what? You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. You're like, wow, that sounds really hard and harsh. Well, I'm telling you, being a follower of Jesus oftentimes is hard and harsh. And sometimes he does discipline. And sometimes he says, you're going to go through this difficulty until you get this handled. And some of us are in a situation that we keep praying for relief when, when he's praying for obedience. We pray for God can take this away. And he's going, take it away. <laughs> like the discipline's going to stay until you take that thing away. And so you have issues in your relationships. And you're like, why is my boss so this way? And it's like, because you need to learn a lesson. Now, I know where this theology can go, where you, every bad thing that happens to you, you think of as like, oh no, God's disciplining me. I always err on that side when I preach. I always err on the side of grace. This morning, I'm not. This morning, you might be going through something really difficult because you're being disciplined. And so you go to your heavenly father and you say, God, is this something I need to work through? And in the process, you come closer to him. In the process, it's not just, I want to, my life is bad right now. I want to get it good. Jesus is part of that. But it might also be that you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. This idea isn't like you're supposed to beat yourself and into submission, right? That's not it. You have forgotten the exhortation, which is addressed to you as sons. He, the writer of Hebrews now riffs off the Old Testament, again, tying this concept together. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son whom he receives. That is just what it says. That there's this idea that becoming a follower of Jesus does have discipline involved in the process. Like every great relationship you've ever had. Those who love you go, hey man, or hey girl. I don't know what they say to girls. I just know dudes. So bro, whatever. You got to get this figured out. And you go, I don't like that friend. Yeah, I don't, I don't talk to them anymore. Why? And soon you find yourself out of friends because they're like, you got to get this nailed down. For those whom the Lord loves, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. We just sang it. He scourges. It's, it's whips. <laughs> Sorry. I wish it was something else. I wish it was like a, a uh, you know, jacuzzi or something, but it's not. Every son or daughter he receives. Now, here's what he says. And this is just so true. If we can adopt this and get this down, it'll be so helpful. All discipline, the writer says, for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Have you had this in any other area of your life where what you had to do to get it fixed was hard. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe you took a pay cut or now with inflation the way it is and gas prices the way they are, not to depress you or any of that kind of stuff. But if you've, apparently there's, you know, somebody's responsible for something. 
and that it, there's this problem with inflation. Guess what? You're going to have to discipline yourself for finances, right? And it, it, for the moment, it seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Maybe it's, maybe it's your actual diet or it's like the doctor says, you got to cut this out or it's, well, okay, afterwards. But watch what it says after this. Yet, to those who have been trained by it, to those who go, you've lived your life in Christ long enough to go, oh, I know the Lord's disciplining me right now. And it's lame. I hate it. But you know what? He's done this before with me. And it always yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. We just think of the discipline. We just think of Jesus with the whip, and we're like, ah, I don't like that. But I'm just here to tell you, just, just from my perspective, every time in my life, the Lord would not let me get away with something. Every time. Every time I felt that discipline. Every time I felt the true consequences of my insecurities and weakness and sin. And he addresses it. The end result is the peaceful fruit of righteousness. As the worship band comes back up, this is hard for some of us. And for some of us, you might have had a dad or somebody, your whole position is, I knew it. (laughs) I knew he was disciplining me. I'm worthless and I'm not worth Jesus. That You've missed the sermon if that's where you're coming from. You are not worthless. You are worth being refined by him. That's what it is. Parent, you ever seen a parent who doesn't discipline their kids? It's almost like they just don't even want them around. Like just whatever, just you're an, you're an annoyance. And yes, some parents discipline their kids too harshly, whatever. I'm not getting into a parenting thing. But somebody's going to discipline those kids whether it's a teacher or a boss or whatever. And so your heavenly father comes to you this morning with this idea of Jesus taking this temple, which was designed for intimacy, and your temple, which was designed for intimacy. It was designed to be able to serve others, to be able to um, uh, get these, these grips of sin and these things that you're just in bondage to and break them. But sometimes God is a little harsher than we'd want him to be. But afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Anyone, uh, who, if you've ever been around anyone in addiction, if you've ever been in addi- had an, ad- an addiction that was broken, you totally understand this concept. It was like, I don't know what I'd do without that thing. I don't know what I'd do without that thing. The, you know, the, uh, again, not to make it depressing or anything, but uh, the, if you saw on the news, the drummers of the Foo Fighters died. Uh, and man, 50 years old, had it all, but he just couldn't get this addiction figured out. And it cost him his life. When that addiction's broken, if you've ever seen it in somebody, I mean, if they're truly sober, they're truly healed, this is what they get, this peaceful fruit of righteousness. We're going to end with a song and... Um, um, during this time, it's a, it's a time of contemplation and reflection. And um, 
We always end the service with this because the final word really needs to come from your heavenly father, not from me. I can preach whatever and have all sorts of ideas for what I want to say. And your, the, your heavenly father might be saying, no, 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 we're going to talk about this. And so we leave that time open. And the other thing I, I want to remind you of is that God isn't just limited to this environment to speak to you. You might be on the road, on the freeway, and all of a sudden you hear this, feel this nudge. You feel this thing of like going, oh man, I think he's disciplining me right now. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. But to those who have been trained by it, afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, even the tough parts even the parts we don't understand. We want to be vessels. We want to be temples. We want to be um, people who uh, realize from the jump when we accept you as our Savior, when we accept you as our Lord, when we establish you as King, that we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. And we are to be used for your glorification. So, Lord, wherever that needs to change in our lives, wherever we need to receive discipline in order to later get that peaceful fruit of righteousness, Lord, we trust you. In your name, amen. And now, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray you'd go in his strength, in his joy, and in his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.